I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the 100th Psalm, 100th Psalm. And, you know, we're going to read some things that David said, also some other things that, you know, the apostle said. But in, in praying and getting ready for this, the Lord spoke to him and he said, there are four areas we're going to touch on. He said, the people need to revive their passion for the Lord. And then we need to have a reviving of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in and upon our life. And then we need to revive and stir up our gifts and our anointings that God has given us to use for His kingdom. And then, praise God, we need to have a reviving in our heart to win the world, to touch lives, and to bring people to Jesus. Amen? So that's what we're going to deal with. That's where we're going to go. So if you can be here every service, you'll get in on it. We're just going to walk ourselves right through it. But in this first service, we're going to talk about reviving our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew chapter 22, when the Lord was asked, what's the great commandment? He said that it's the love, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your strength and all your might. You know, that means there's effort involved. That means that, that, that you're intensely in love with God. Amen. And that's where the Lord wants us to be. And, and as I got to studying this out, I, I got to looking and the Lord really gave me David as an example. You know, uh, we all can probably relate to David. You know, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, but he was messing up all the time, wasn't he? Amen. A lot of us, you know, we read the Old Testament, and you know, you have two types in the Old Testament. You have David's type and Daniel's type. Nobody can relate to Daniel. I don't think Daniel had a flaw. Amen. Daniel did everything right. <laughs> Daniel never messed up. You never read about Daniel ever having a bad day. I mean, he would just, I mean, he was something. I mean, he lived in a, an extraordinary life with the Lord. But we can read about David, you know. David's got an eye for the women every now and then. He has to repent. And David's out here, you know, messing up and getting in places where he shouldn't be and having to come back and the Lord straighten him up. And somebody says, well, why would you use David? Because with David, with all of his flaws, David was one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king that ever lived because Jesus came through him. In fact, the Bible says that the, the, the Lord will sit on his father David's throne. Amen. Did you hear me? So therefore, the kingdom was established through David, and Jesus came to establish that kingdom to us. And so we can read about David. David would serve the Lord, and then he'd get into trouble, and then David would have to get renewed and revived. Amen? And somebody says, well, now, Brother Huffman, if you get to preaching like this, you'll give everybody license to sin. No, you'll sin enough without a license. <laughs> I don't have to give you a license to sin. I'm trying to give you a license to get out of sin. Amen? To get back with God so that you can live a life that's full of fire and full of faith and not let your mistakes mark you and determine who you are. Amen? But your passion for God is what should mark you. It's your de dedication to the Lord that should mark you. It is your desire to please Him and live for Him. It is you letting God do th great things in your life even though you know you're a flawed individual. Amen? Come on, let's get real with this thing. A lot of times we try to teach faith and living for God and righteousness. Everybody thinks you've got to be perfect. Well, we strive for perfection, but how many of you found out you haven't never made it yet? Amen. Amen. Along with faith has to come honesty. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And we have to get honest with ourselves and honest with the Word of God and realize that it's not by our might nor power that we're going to get this thing done anyway, but it's by the Spirit of the living God and God's hand upon our lives that things are going to change. Amen. So we begin to read here in Psalm 100, and it begins to really set the place for us, and it, it begins to, to, to set us in God's uh, attitude on how we're to live for Him, and how we're to serve Him, and how our lives are supposed to be. And so David says, make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands. One translation says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Then he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Notice David starts off this psalm with saying, make a joyful shout. We should have a joyful shout, not just a shout. Amen. A shout of praise, a shout of excitement, a shout of glory unto the Lord. Notice he said, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, or all nations, everybody. Everybody should have a shout of joy and victory in their mouth when it comes to the Lord. Too many people are shouting at the Lord instead of shouting out joy unto the Lord. Amen. 
But then he goes on in the next verse, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You know, notice here he says, serve the Lord with gladness. I got to looking that up. That word serve there has also some different meanings in Hebrew. Also, it can mean work. But then another one said worship, praise God. And so I began to look at that, and the Lord began to speak to him, and he said, serving the Lord with gladness is your work and servanthood to the Lord is your act of worship unto the Lord. Come on, stay with me. In other words, how I serve the Lord and the works I do for the Lord are an outward display of my worship to the Lord. Worshiping the Lord is not just singing hallelujah. Come on, worshiping the Lord is my attitude toward the Lord, my actions toward the Lord, my service unto the Lord. Amen? And it becomes my act of worship unto Him. Then he says in verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. Boy, we need to just stop right there. A lot of people don't know that the Lord, He is God. Because if we really had a revelation that the Lord, He is God, we'd act different, wouldn't we? Come on, we talk different, we do different, we treat people different, praise God. But notice he says, you need to get the revelation that the Lord, He is God. He's not just a friend. He's not just a buddy. He's not just somebody you go to. He's someone you reverence and acknowledge as the Lord God Almighty every day of your life. Amen? And he says this, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. In other words, the Lord is God. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Amen? The Lord, He is God and He created us and He made us and He oversees us and He's Lord over us. Amen? And we need to have that revelation. He says, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Now, one translation I got to look at, it says, enter into his gates as a thank offering. I like that. Praise God. In other words, I don't enter into his gates saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I enter into his gates as a thankful offering. In other words, I'm the thanks that's coming to him. Amen. Not just the words of my mouth, but the attitude of my life, my actions, who I am, all that I am. Everything in me is being presented to the Lord as a thank offering. And he's receiving me, not just my words, but me as a thankful offering unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Why should we be so thankful? Because Colossians 1, 12, 13, and 14 says we're to give thanks unto the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Why? Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has drawn us to himself into his very presence, into his very kingdom, and has delivered us and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And then he says we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. My God, folks, why shouldn't we be a thank offering unto the Lord? Well, my worst day I ought to be thanking God because whether I'm partaking of the blessing or not, I'm qualified to get in on it. Hallelujah. And I'm delivered from the power and the dominion and authority of darkness. I'm God's people. He created me. He's my Lord and he's my God. And I've been delivered from the power of the enemy. Amen. The devil may roar all he wants to, but I don't belong to him anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. I listen to another voice. Now he goes on and he says this. He goes down here and he says in verse 5, For the Lord is good. Let's finish up verse 4. He says, he says, let's read again. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise, and be thankful to him, and bless his name. Now listen to these last three things. You need to get a hold of this, because these are three foundation statements that will help you to live in a life that's full of revival and vigor and blessing and excitement unto the Lord. Notice he says this, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Now, John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. So the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his word of this truth is to every generation. Hallelujah. Come on, those are three things you have to know about the Lord. The first of all, the Lord is good. Come on, we serve a good God. Amen. Amen. His mercy endures and it's everlasting. In other words, his mercy is his willingness to get involved in our lives. And His truth is for every generation. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the goodness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, and the truth of the Lord is for me in every situation of my life. Amen? 
And so that's how we're to serve the Lord. That's how we're to live. We're to live with a thankful heart. We're to live with a shout of joy. We're to live and worship God and, and realize our service unto the Lord is our act of worship that He sees and that we're actually a thank offering unto the Lord because we recognize that He is God and we are not. And He created us for His purposes and He has given us these, all these blessings. And we live with an attitude of victory because the Lord is merciful and the Lord is good and the Lord's truth is available to me in every situation I find myself. In. Amen? Now go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's see what the Apostle Peter has to say. He, this is the New Testament rendition of the same truth. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is basically down here in verses 9 and 10 telling us the same thing that David said. Notice what he says here. For you are a chosen generation. Glory to God. God reached down and chose us. Somebody said, when did God choose us before the foundations of the world? <laughs> Hallelujah. Before there was ever a, a thing that was brought in, God chose you and me to be a part of his kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. And when man messed up, God had already had a plan that had been already agreed on between him and his son, that he would send his son and he would come and redeem us because God chose us. And once God has made up his mind, you can't talk him out of it. Amen. Hallelujah. You might ignore it. You might fight him on it. You might run from it, but you can't change God's mind. He's going to chase you down as long as you have breath in your life. He's going to do everything he can to get you delivered from sin. He's going to do everything he can to redeem your life and get you into his kingdom with him. Amen. That's how much God loves you and me. Hallelujah. So quit fighting it. Quit running from it and yield to it. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now listen to this, his own special people. Why? Because the Lord made us, not we ourselves. We're his own special people. What am I supposed to do with all this? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Glory to God. What's he saying? He's saying, now, once you recognize that God chose you and drew you out of darkness, drew you out of the dominion of Satan, brought you into his kingdom, redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb, and made you his own son, he also made you a royal priest. In other words, now you can offer up spiritual sacrifices and praises unto God, and you can worship him as a priest, and you can minister unto him, and God has chosen you and brought you out of this thing, and now God says this, now I want you to proclaim, demonstrate, put out before the whole world your praises and all your attitudes of victory and let everybody see that you're no longer a child of darkness you are a child of light hallelujah amen that's another that's the way god wants us to live because you're getting a hold of this right now that salvation is not a one-time trip to the altar and then go live any way you want to amen that's not christianity that's not what it means to be a new creation if you're going to become a part of the chosen generation, if you're going to become a part of the royal priesthood, then you're, and if you're going to come out of darkness, God is going to expect you then to live in the light of who you are in Christ. God's going to expect you to, to come before his presence with singing. God's going to expect you to have a joyful shout of victory because you're no longer going to hell. Hallelujah. The devil's no longer your God. Jesus is now your Lord. And your Father in heaven loves you and you've received the spirit of adoption. You cry out, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. And your life is going to be lived as a thank offering unto the Lord to bring praise and worship unto him. And your service is always going to be directed at him. Hallelujah. If I'm helping somebody out of a ditch, it's because I'm serving the Lord and I'm doing it as a thank offering unto the Lord. If I'm speaking a, a, a blessing word to somebody, I'm doing it as a service unto the Lord. In other words, I'm displaying and putting out before all that I am a child of light and not a child of darkness. And I'm proclaiming it to the world so that the people can see what God has done in me. Now look what he says in verse 10. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Oh, glory to God. I have obtained the mercy of God. 
You know, if you read 1 John, we don't have time to go over and go all through that, but if you'll start reading in 1 John, you'll find that John says several things in the third chapter, even in the fourth chapter. He talks about over there, beloved, what kind of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God? Then he goes over the fourth chapter and he says this. He says, he says that, that, that right now in this lifetime, we are like Jesus. Whoo, glory to God. In other words, I've been created in his image. God has placed his spirit in me. His anointing upon me. His redemption is operating in my life. And now I'm to live as a child of light. I'm no longer a child of darkness. I'm a child of light. And my attitude is an attitude of victory and blessing unto the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, let's go back to the 138th Psalm. Just keep walking with me, praise God. Look over here in, this, this, in, the, in the Old Testament. Let's go to the 138th Psalm. David over here is again speaking to us. How many of you found out that just because all these great truths are presented to us, we even embrace them. We look at them, we say, glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever, and His truth is to every generation. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm going to show forth the praises of Him who has drawn me out of darkness and brought me into His light. Hallelujah. I used to not be a part of the kingdom of God, but now I'm a part of the kingdom. Jesus is my Lord. How many of you found out that even though you had that revelation and you get saved, you feel this spirit, and you're excited about living for God, how many of you found out that the world didn't change just because you did? Huh? Anybody find out there was still darkness out there? Anybody find out there were still temptations, tests, trials, tribulations, struggles, problems, enemies attacking? Come on. See, you got to understand something, folks. You changed, the devil did not. Amen? Sin did not. You changed. God changed you. He didn't change everything around you. He changed you. Amen. When you got saved, you were still in the same environment you was a few minutes ago when you was lost. And the devil was still the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why in Galatians 6, 9, Paul says not to grow weary while you're doing the good things that God has called you to do because you will reap if you don't faint and fatigue, find fatigue, yourself all fatigued and, and, and lose heart. In other words, you have an opportunity to grow weary. Anybody here ever had an opportunity to grow weary? Anybody realize that once you got saved, everything around you didn't get saved? All the people around you didn't get saved. Your circumstances didn't get saved. Amen? Guess what? You just became the odd person out. Hallelujah. And the only reason you recognize it now that it's really bad is because your eyes have been opened and you can finally see it. Amen? I mean, you know, if, if you get with a group of 10 and you go out here and wall in the mud, and then you go over here and you wall in the trash and you do all this stuff, you know, after a while, you don't know that all, all 10 of you stink. <laughs> Y'all smell the same way. You look the same way. <laughs> you act in the same way. Yeah, this is the way it is. But then you decide that you're going to go in the house and you take all those clothes off and you throw them away and you go in the shower and you scrub down and you brush your teeth and get all cleaned up and put some perfume on or aftershave or whatever it is and, and you put some new clean clothes on and you walk out and there's the other nine and you go, oh God. Man, you guys stink. And they get mad at you for telling them they stink. And then you can't understand why they can't understand why they don't stink. It's because they haven't been washed from the mud and the murk and the mire and the junk that's making them stink. They didn't change, you did. Now what the Lord is wanting you to do is to let them know that what He's done for you, He'll do for them. And that He can clean their lives up and give them a new life too, just like He just gave you. Amen? But you cannot go out there and because all your friends still stink and have mud and junk and trash all over them, that you decide to run out there in your new clean clothes and jump in the mud and the trash and the junk with them. But that's where the thief comes. He wants to come and break us down 
and bring us down. See, the devil doesn't mind you going to heaven. He just minds you sharing heaven while you're on the way. Are you listening to me? He knows he can't stop you from getting to heaven if you make Jesus Lord. So he's going to be out to stop you from living for God and letting people see what God can do for him while you're here on the earth. So we have to understand that. There's a war going on. There's a battle. There are things that are going to attack us to try to pull our shout of joy away from us, to pull away our praise unto God, to pull away the light shining out of us, to pull away from us an attitude of gratitude and a thankful heart and presenting ourselves and serving God as a thank offering unto the Lord. So what are you going to do? Psalm 138, David says this, verse 1, I will praise you with my whole heart. In other words, you've got to get your heart into this thing. It can't just be a head thing. It's got to be a heart thing. Amen? If we're going to see God move in our time right now and see a great new revival come upon America, we're going to have to have some heart praise. We're going to have to have some heart living. Are you listening to me? Where we, have, we just have a heart for these things, praise God. Notice I says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praise praises to you. That word gods there can also be magistrates or angels. So what's he saying? He's saying, I will praise you, Lord, before the demons of hell. I'll praise you for those that are in authority on the earth, and I'll praise you before the heavenly host. Praise God. In other words, everywhere I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, my life is going to be a praise offering because my heart has been surrendered to you. Praise God. I'm going to worship my God. I'm going to live a life of worship to my Lord. Notice he says this, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness, your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, you know, we begin to look at this and, and, and all of a sudden we find that, that David is praising God with all of his heart. David is praising the Lord with passion and purpose, isn't he? In other words, he's praising because he's magnified the, his name. He's glorified his name. He's, he's lifted up and, and magnified. And I got to look in the word passion. It up. And you know what the word passion means here? Having or showing strong feelings. Having or showing strong feelings. You ever heard anybody say, I feel real strong about that? That means they're passionate about that. And you know what David's saying? I'm going to praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. You know what he's saying? I'm going to praise you with a passionate heart. I'm going to praise you with strong feelings. I have strong feelings towards this. In other words, I, 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 I have a conviction for this. I'm committed to this. I believe in this. Praise God. This is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do. And then he says, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to praise your name for your loving kindness and, 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 and your truth. Now, listen to what he says here in, in, in verse uh, uh, down here as we finish this. He says, for you have magnified your word above all your name. <clears throat> now, you begin to look at that, and you say, wait a minute. How could God magnify his word above his name? Well, he says, you know, throughout the scriptures, the name of Jesus, there's no name greater than the name of the Lord. Amen. It's Jesus name. Every knee must bow. Every tongue must confess every, you know, Jesus Lord at the name of Jesus, every demon, everything has to, to surrender the name of Jesus. Sickness flees In the name of Jesus. You get saved. So some, somebody says there's no name above the name of Jesus. How could David say he magnifies his word above his name? He's saying this, your name is only as good as your word. And the Lord is saying, the reason the name of Jesus is so powerful is because I watch over my word to perform it, and my word will never return to me void. It'll always do what it said. And what he's saying, when you begin to respect my word and what I say and the integrity of my word, then the name of Jesus will become that much greater in your life because you understand that the name of Jesus represents everything God ever said. Hallelujah. Come on, church. And God is as good as his word, and God's word is as good as God. Hallelujah. And so God says, the name is so strong and powerful because my word is backing it, and my word can't be changed or altered. Hallelujah. So we begin to worship God and stand on his word. Now I'm serving him and praising him with my whole heart, but I'm serving him and praising him with my faith in his word. Because I know his word is backing everything he said he would do for me. So now I'm committed to his word. But now jump down here to verse 7. David is praising God. He's worshiping God. He's getting a revelation of how great the name is because he's getting a revelation of how great the, the word is and how good God is. Then he gets down in verse 7. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. Look at that. You know, we come to church, and usually before we can get home, we've lost everything we got at church. Amen. 
Why? Because we walk in the midst of trouble. In the 23rd Psalm, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In other words, we're all going to have to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of death is around us all, always, folks. Why? Because the law of sin and death is still in operation on the earth. The devil, who is the author of death, is still on the earth. And so therefore there's death, there's spiritual death and physical death and struggles and problems and troubles all around us. In fact, the word trouble there, it, it means to have adversity and affliction and distress. So David says, I'm walking in, in, in times of affliction and distress and struggle and trouble. It's all around me. Now what's going to happen? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Ooh, glory to God. Hallelujah. What's he saying? You will quicken me and recover me. And you will repair me and restore me. That's what the Hebrew means right there when he says, Yet though I'm walking in the midst of this, and the enemy comes in to pull me down. The enemy comes in to steal my joy. The enemy comes in to get me away from God. God, in the midst of all that trouble, as I keep my eyes on you, you will revive me. You will quicken me. You will restore to me. You'll recover me. You'll, you'll bring into my life blessing and keep me alive. Hallelujah. Now look what he says. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. In other words, God, as I allow you to keep me alive and keep my praise and keep my attitude right and keep my eyes on you. And as I'm allowing you, every time the enemy tries to steal something out of me, you just revive it. Every time the enemy tries to pull me down, you restore it. Every time the enemy tries to get me to quit, you just go ahead and ignite it again. Praise God. And infuse me with your love. And as David continues to praise God, look what's happening. Against, he says, you will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. Now listen to this next part. The Lord will perfect or complete that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Notice he said, your, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when you find yourself in a time of trouble, you find yourself in a time of distress, you find yourself in a time of affliction, you find yourself in a time when you just want to quit, you want to give up, you, you, the thoughts are hitting your mind, it's not worth it, and you, you don't, don't even have a praise in your life, and in your mouth you just want to fuss. He's saying, Lord, in the midst of that trouble, you're going to stretch forth your hand and revive me and recover me and restore me and quicken me and infuse your life into me. And Lord, instead of yielding to the trouble and the struggle and letting it put my fire out, I'm going to let you perfect that which concerns me in this. In other words, God, you're going to take what the devil meant for bad and turn it for my good. And I'm coming out of this thing a whole lot better than I was when I went into it. Hallelujah. See, that's the attitude of Christianity. That's living Christianity. That's not Sunday morning religion. That's not a trip to the altar to get some fire insurance. And we as the church have to come back to this place and realize that the reason I need to be revived is there's a bad world out here. And the reason I need God to infuse life into me and restore me and quicken me and keep pouring into me is because I've got troubles and struggles and distress. And these things are trying to zap everything out of me. <clears throat> but I didn't get into this thing until the first struggle. I got into this thing to make it all the way to heaven. Amen. And I want to tell you something, folks. If we're going to go to heaven, we might as well enjoy the trip on the way. Amen. We might as well go ahead and have a high old time on the way. Hallelujah. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that by letting the Lord revive me. I'm going to do that by letting the Lord restore me and quicken me and renew me and bring his power into my life. Somebody says, well, how am I going to do that? We'll quickly look to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and we'll show you. <clears throat> Let me have, hallelujah. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Don't take it off. Thank you, Lord. Look over here. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we have, we have David here. And David has been out fighting enemies. I mean, he's been doing all this, this great stuff. And so he comes back to Ziklag, his home. And the Amalekites have showed up while he was gone. Burned the city, took his family, took his 
prosperity, took everything. I mean, he just got devastated. Are you listening to me? This is David. This is God's man. This is God's king. He's already been anointed to be the next king. He's the one that Jesus is going to set on his throne. And he just had his family messed up, his, his finances messed up. Everything about him, just the enemy just came in like a flood while he was gone. And you know what David did and all these mighty men that are with him? They reacted just like most of us. Pick it up in verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You know something, folks, when the enemy comes in and tries to pull the rug right out from under you and smack you down and you find yourself your head where your feet were and your feet where your head was and the whole world looks like it's turned upside down it's okay to have emotions you understand that they're not weeping because they're having oh Jesus I need they're weeping because they're upset they're sad in fact this, this next verse goes on and says this and David's two wives Ahinahab and Je, uh, the, the whatever and Abigail <laughs> The Jezreelites, is that how you say it? Anyway, praise God. And the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the souls of the people was grieved. That word grieved means bitter. They weren't just upset now, they're mad. Now let's give you a little history of this, because this is a real good picture of the church. You got to understand something. This is David and his mighty men. They've never lost a battle up to this point. Remember how this group got together? David went down to the cave of Adullam and started the church. His family showed up. All he had was his, his family as his own congregation. And then people started showing up. Oh, he had the cream of the crop. The discontented. Those in distress. Those in debt. Those who were outcast, those who were struggling, those who were upset with the world. Come on now. Sound a little bit like us when we came to God. In debt, in distress, discontent, struggling, problems. And here they show up with David. And from the 22nd chapter all the way to the 30th, they have victory after victory after victory after victory. They turn into God's mighty men. They turn into covenant men of God. Their families are blessed. Their homes are blessed. They're, they're beating everything they come up against. And God is prospering them. God is protecting them. God is taking care of them. And all of a sudden, here comes this problem. And the enemy comes in, and he hits them like a, 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 a snowstorm, and he just falls on them. And just like a flood, here comes the enemy. And now, all of a sudden, the revival is over. Here's some adversity. And you know what the problem is? Every one of them have forgotten what he said in the 100th Psalm, that the Lord is good, His mercy endures forever, and His word is everlasting to every generation. They forgot the Lord is good. They forgot that His mercy is everlasting. And they forgot that the truth endures to every generation. So they're not operating in His truth, they're not operating in His mercy, and they don't think God is good anymore. And you know, I don't care how great a revival is, there's going to come a day when the enemy's going to come in and attack it and see if he can break it down and destroy it. I don't care how great things are going on in your home, in your personal life, in your family. There's coming a day where the thief is going to come in like a flood, and he's going to come in, and he's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to try to get you out of church. He's going to try to get you out of the intimacy that you have with God. He's going to try to steal your shout of joy. He's going to try to steal the thanksgiving out of your life. He's going to try to get you to quit serving God. Because he doesn't mind you going to church. He loves it when you come to church and you fuss at the pastor and you fuss at the person beside you and you fuss at your life and you fuss at your family and you fuss at what's going on and all the time the praise and worship's going on, you're just thinking about how bad things are and when the preaching is going on, they've got to cut it back because if they preach too strong, you're going to get mad and get up and leave and the whole group's going on because you see, oh, we'll just get rid of that pastor. That's what they said about David. Here's a man who's changed their life. Here's man's helped them to know God. Now they're against each other. 
against him, mad at God. The enemies come in. Now what you going to do? What you going to do? Well, David begins to show us a few steps here on what we can do to take what the enemy meant for our bad and let God perfect that which concerns us. Are you listening to me? Because see, revival, folks, doesn't mean you're not going to have some problems next week. Revival doesn't mean you're not going to ever have another struggle or trouble. Revival means you keep yourself so in, t- in tune with God, so excited for God, so passionate about God, that no matter what the devil throws at you, God's truth is going to be your truth. And God, you're going to let him do a work in you. And you're not going to let the enemy steal your walk with Jesus Christ. So what does David do? There's five things real quickly. Look what happens here in, in, in verse 6. First thing David does is this. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and embittered every man for his sons and and for his daughters. But David strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Listen to me, folks. You got to get a hold of this. We all have to experience revival personally before we can experience it corporately. Revival doesn't happen to a group. Revival happens to an individual. And then they, all those letting God do a revival becomes a group. Are right, you listening to me? David, instead of responding to the struggle, responding to the anger, responding to the hurt, responding to the struggles and troubles, David goes back and practices what he spoke about in the Psalms. David goes to the Lord. David encourages himself in the Lord. David strengthens himself. What did David, I would say David probably went to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what I did, but I did something and I ask you to forgive me. I I repent. I repent for being aggravated. I repent for everything I've ever done. And God right now don't know what to do. So I'm just coming to you. I'm bringing my life to you because this is beyond me. I can't, I can't get out of this. I need you. See folks, here's the thing. When you're under attack, that attack's either going to run you from God or run you to God. And if we're going to have revival in this church and the churches across this nation, we're going to have to see all the stuff that's going on around us, not try to stick our head in the sand. Don't have ostrich Christianity. It won't go away. And it will pull on you and try to tear you down. And you're either going to let all the stuff that's going on around us run us away from God and get us to lose our joy, or it's going to cause us to run to God and begin to strengthen ourselves and our walk with Him. I choose to run to the Lord. I choose to be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. Amen? Now look at the next thing it says here in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Ephod is a priestly robe. David was a king, but David knew right now that to have a move of God, it it, it ain't going to come from me trying to be a king and a warrior. It's going to come by me being a worshiper and a praiser and a priest unto my God. And folks, there comes a point in time where we're going to have to take off our battle clothes and put on our priest robe, and we're going to have to begin to minister to the Lord and seek the Lord with all of our heart and realize, I can't fight this in my own strength. I can't fight this in my own ability. I don't care how strong I am. I don't care how many scriptures I can quote. I don't care how, how many years I've been in church. God, I am not able to overcome this. I need you. In Revelation chapter 1, one of the things that, that, that John says over there after he talks about the Lord washing us in his own blood, he made us also kings and priests unto his God. So you see, David became a priest. David humbled himself to the Lord. David surrendered himself to the Lord. And he ministered to the Lord. Then we find the second thing. After David has got himself in a place where, where he can hear from God, David asked God, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this, this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and his 600, and them who were with him, and they came to the brook, and da-da-da, right down. And David pursued the 400, with the 400. Now notice there's, there's two things that goes on here. First, David humbles himself. Second of all, David inquires of the Lord. David gets a word from God and believes he's heard from God. He trusts his walk with the Lord. 
And the Lord says, now pursue this. And then David does something else. David doesn't just get a word and sit on it. David gathers his group together and starts acting upon it. So the first thing I have to do, if I'm going to have revivals, I'm going to have to humble myself before the Lord, and I'm going to have to realize, I don't care how strong and how tough and how bad I think I am, I'm going to have to put on the priest robe and humble myself, submit myself to God, and have an encounter with Jesus. And number two, I can't just assume that I can do this. I need to hear a fresh word from God. Now that I'm hearing from God, I need to do it. That word's not going to do me any good if I don't act upon it. Then we get down here and we pick it up in verse 17. Then David attacked them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. What's a sign of revival? A sign of revival is this. I've humbled myself. I've encouraged myself in the Lord. I've gotten rid of everything. I've gotten rid of my hurts. I've gotten rid of my grief. I've gotten rid of my sadness. I've gotten rid of the, the, my, the, the things people said about me. I've gotten rid of distress. I've gotten it all off of me. I'm not condemning myself anymore. I'm not going to live like I've been. I don't care what anybody else does. David didn't go and ask the other people to come and get in the prayer closet with him. David just left them and got into it himself. Amen. So no, whether anybody goes with me or not, I'm going to have revival. Hallelujah. And then once I get myself where I've submitted myself and totally humbled myself to the Lord, I'm going to say, Lord, I need a word from you. What do you want me to do? And whenever I hear God speaking to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to start doing it. And it must have been a real strong passion. David must have got his passion back because all these guys that were talking about putting him to death are now jumping on the bandwagon and going with him. Hallelujah. Why? Because one believer full of revival and full of fire and full of the anointing of the Holy Ghost can change an entire group of people that don't know God. Come on, church. God doesn't need a multitude. He needs one. And this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. He needs you and me. And then once they, you, you start doing this, you got to realize something. It says that David fought this enemy from sundown, basically, to sundown. I mean, he fought all day long until he finally conquered him. Guess what? Just because you're experiencing revival. Listen to me. Just because you've had a fresh anointing come on you from God. You've got a renewed word. You're not living on the the word of faith that came to you back in the charismatic renewal. My God, God just spoke to me today that he's my healer. God just spoke to me today that he's my supplier. God just spoke to me again that he is my deliverer. God just spoke to me again that I can walk in his anointing. God just spoke to me that I can speak to the mountain. It's a fresh rhema word from God. And you believe it so much that you begin to influence those that are around you. And all of a sudden, they began to see it. But how many of you know there's still an enemy out there that came in and stopped this in the first place? You're all excited. You got a word. You rallied the people. But you still don't have your family back. You still don't have your prosperity back. You still don't have all this stuff back. Why? Because the enemy has taken it. Guess what? There's still a fight of faith that you're going to have to fight. You're going to still have to reassert yourself and take back what the enemy stole from you. Amen? You're going to have to defeat him because if you don't defeat the one who defeated you, he'll keep coming back and defeating you over and over again. Come on, church. Revival isn't a temporary fix. It's a change in life where you recognize the enemy. You recognize what he did. You recognize how he got in. And you go after him with all that's in you. And you fight him and defeat him and bring him down. Hallelujah. You want revival in your life? What is it that's been coming against you? And every time you go ahead, it knocks you back down again. Why? Because you thought just because you got a fresh on, you were okay. No, you're still going to have to go confront your enemy. And you have to go after that enemy with a faith in God that cannot be shaken. David had 600 men. 200 of them were so weak and, and just depleted. He had to leave them by the brook. So David now, he's got 400. And he's got to have to go after all this enemy has been, been defeated. They're undefeated. This enemy has beat down every town that they've gone to. Kind of sounds like what's going on in the world now. 
we got a devil out there that he stopped the Pentecostal movement, then he stopped the healing movement, then he stopped the charismatic renewal, then he stopped the teaching movement, and he's been holding the church's goods for several years. And we've been talking about the way it was when Brother Hagin was here. We've been talking about how it was when old Roberts. We talked about when it was when Jimmy Swag was preaching. We're talking about all these great things. Well, I'm going to tell you what, folks. That enemy ain't going to get defeated because of what was. I don't care how many times you've been slain in the spirit. Are you hearing me? God is saying, you need a right now revival, a right now renewal, a right now word, a right now encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to stir yourself and seek God. And then realize, praise God, the reason the Lord is renewing me and giving me this word and making me an influencer is because there's an enemy out there that I'm going to have to face. But this time I'm going to face him with the fire of God in my heart. I'm going to face him with the word of God because God has magnified his word even above his name. And I'm going after the devil with the word. I'm going after the devil with the name of Jesus. I'm going after the devil with the power of God. I'm going not because somebody else said it would work. I'm going because God spoke to me and I know it'll work. I'm going because I got before the Lord and encouraged myself and got washed by the blood of the Lamb. And all my sins and all my failures and all my mistakes was cleansed. And I no longer live in guilt, condemnation. I no longer live in inferiority. I'm no longer condemning myself and walking around here in weakness. No, blessed be God, I had a new encounter with Jesus. And He's my Lord. And He's good. And His mercy endures forever. And His truth endures every generation. And I'm going to walk in the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the truth of God. And I'm overcoming this time. Hallelujah. And you gear yourself and you go. And the Bible says that David went in and he took back everything the enemy stole from him, plus the stuff they'd gotten from others. Because when God begins to move in your life and you have a revival in your life, God does exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to his power that's at work in you. How many of you know God is a big God and a generous God and he'll do for you more than you ever thought you could ever believe God for? Come on. And that's what he's wanting to do right now. God is wanting to renew a revival and restored us even more than the enemy has stolen from us. What was the final thing that took place down here? It's down here in verse 23 and 24. Some people still, even though God had done this, they're trying to immediately yield to the wrong spirit. How many of you know that in the midst of revival you can have crazy things going on? Come on, I'm getting you ready. You can have bad things going on. I remember I was, I, I'd heard this story. I'd heard about the, the, the Toronto blessing. You know, they was having a big revival up there a few years back. And, and they talked about somebody that came in and, uh, uh, you know, they barked like a dog. They started barking. Bark, 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 bark. You know, and he said, that's the only thing that people remembered by, by the whole service is that person barking. And he said, you know, and, and so I listened to the pastor when they was talking to him. He said, well, he said, listen, he said, why would you stop a hundred people getting filled with the Holy Spirit? To give attention to one person full of the devil. He said, and what we did is they didn't tell you is this. He said, our ushers, they're all trained and anointed of God. They took the dog barker and got him off in the corner. They cast that dog barking demon out of him. Got him saved, filled the Holy Ghost. And later on, he was in a line praising God. Hallelujah. He said, you know, if you're going to have a move of God, and I heard Brother Hagin say this. He said, anytime there's a move of God, you're going to have a little fanaticism, a little crazy stuff still going. How many of you know that if you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you leave here tonight and you're all excited and you're a passion for God? Not everybody's going to be happy about that. Amen. See, you have to get a hold of these things. We have, to, we have to be alert to how the enemy does. So here, here, here they've had this great victory, and God has done this great thing. And immediately the enemy's going to try to work because it says here in verse 23, they, 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 in verse 22, he calls them wicked men because they don't want to give the people that, that stayed by the stuff anything. They're just going to cut them out. You know, we, we don't want to pray this revival in. Our group. But you know what David says? He says, my brother, you shall not do so. With what the Lord, now listen, has given us, who has provided, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand 
the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall part alike. You know what he's saying? He's saying God is good, and it don't matter what's going on. Everybody's going to get in on it. Amen? We're not going to cheat anybody out of this thing. Yeah, but they're Baptists. They shouldn't have this. I don't care if they're Episcopalian. (laughs) Pat, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But you see, here's the thing. It's going to have to start with each one of us. My question to you right now is this. What has your attention? The battles, the losses, the struggles. What's got your attitude? Your failures or your, your, your relationship with Jesus? What direction are you going? Are you looking back to what you had and lost? Or are you looking ahead to what God wants to give you? What's in your mouth? Fussing and complaining because you just don't see it and it's just not like it was? Or a shout of joy and praise and thanksgiving to God? See, revival, folks, starts with each and every one of us having a renewed encounter with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with me laying hands on people. Now, tomorrow we're going to teach on being revived and renewed in the Holy Ghost. And there's a level. You, you get up in the front, you love to get smacked. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> and you may hit the floor, not because I smacked you. And you may talk in tongues and you may flop around. And look totally, totally uncouth. But some of us need to get ruffled up and uncouth a little bit so that so we get that pride and concern about what people think about us. But that's not where we're at right now. None of this started until David stepped out of the problem and stepped into the presence of God and rededicated himself to the Lord. And that's what the Lord spoke to me. Don't let your battles, don't let your losses, don't let what the enemy's doing or what's going on right now define who you are. Strengthen and encourage yourself in the Lord. Right now, where am I at with Jesus? Where, what's got my attention? What's got my voice? What's got my service? What's my attitude towards God? See, that's where revival starts. Reviving something that was there but has been lost. Renewing something that was. See, revival isn't God putting something new in. It's God renewing something that was already there. Are you hearing me? See, we don't understand what revival is. It's a fresh infusion. It's a coming back to life of things that have grown dead. It's being renewed with vigor and vitality in our attitude and service of the Lord. Those are all definitions that I looked up. God renewing, replacing in me.